Welcome to the Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is one uh, one nineteen, not one twelve. It's one nineteen, two thousand and twenty-two, and we are ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have together this evening. We thank you for those who have gathered, and uh, we're ready to hear your word. Father, we we thank you for what you have given us right here in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Such a popular verse, oh Lord. Father, we want to know exactly what we can understand from that verse as we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. We thank you for those uh, uh, who have assembled themselves, but not only that, but the extended Word is Truth family, wherever they may be this evening, praying for them as well. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 All right. So you know our normal course of study <clears throat> is in Romans 10. We happen to be in verses 9 and 10. We did cover verse 9 last week, and we just have a little bit more to cover in verse 10 this week. So we, we will get to that in a minute. But just to note, if you missed anything uh, that we've covered and passed, uh, lessons, you can go to the website, which is wordistruth.com, and you will find everything that we talk about has been uploaded to uh, the website. I usually upload those right after we're done, so um, if you're missing anything, you want to go back and look at something, if you don't have it, uh, you f feel free to do that. Go right to the website and fill in all the blanks, as well as in lots of other things there, uh, whether it's Sunday or the Wednesday services. So, we're in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. These most popular verses, uh, the world uses, the Christian world uses these verses to tell people how to get saved. And um, so we, we're just looking at it just to make sure we understand them. And we just happen to be there in our context here of our study of the book of Romans. So, let's go to your notes, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So in your notes, if ever there was a classic Bible verse, these two verses would certainly qualify. I bet they would rank as high in popularity as John 3.16. Even though a verse may be very popular, that does not mean it is generally understood. We are here to look at the verses in question. Remember, for us to understand any biblical verse and to be saved, we need God, the Holy Spirit. To note, these are not magic words. Reciting these words does not make anybody saved. Only God can save. And he has clearly done everything possible to reconcile us to the Father. So we covered uh, 10.9. Now, of course, I, I just want to state in terms of introduction that 
uh, these verses need to really be studied in the context, right? So we can understand how these metaphors are used and how Paul went back and dug up some verses from Deuteronomy to show us what was meant uh, with reference to the Jews and how easily they should have been able to put the, the horse in front of the cart. But because they didn't put the cart, uh, the horse in front of the cart, they had major problems. And the reason they're in this problem, or even, uh, I would say, for the most part, uh, just like we were speaking about prior to the study, uh, the problem they had is they weren't born again. And they could have been born of the Spirit, and the Spirit could have assisted them in their obedience to the law. However, they neglected the uh, salvation part of it. Just like Stephen mentions, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. So there was a pattern of resisting the Holy Spirit when it came to leading them to salvation. So they had a major problem. They were trying to obey everything strictly based on... Uh, the fact that they were unbelievers and not the fact that they were not only believers but that they had the law so so the law primarily that Moses talked about uh, God through the Apostle Paul uses that to help illustrate how easy and near salvation is to them they could have obeyed the law it wasn't hard all they would have to do is obey, listen to God, have some humility toward God, and listen to him. But no, they refused, and they were very, very decadent in their behavior, following after other gods. I mean, almost everything God told them not to do, they did. So, so what we have, we, we, we already covered, we don't have time to recover all of this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Some of this, and that was verse 9. Now we're verse 10, we're going right to it. Just broke it down into two phrases, pretty easy for us uh, to, to dig into it. So the first phrase is, in point number 4, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. So that the for there is the first word in the scripture, and it is the Greek word gar. It's a, it's a particle. So it's primary particle, properly assigning a reason used in argument, explanation, or intensification often with other particles, right? This... So it assigns a reason. So why would Paul need this, to use this word? In this case, this, this particle? It's because uh, this, this sentence um, in verse 10 explains further what we have in verse 9. We'll get to that point. I think that's point B, but let me just finish. It also is translated and, as, because, that, but, even for indeed no doubt seeing then therefore there, there, there's if it was if it was translated therefore 
you would automatically know. Uh, verily, what, why, and yet. All that comes from strong. You could easily get that. So point B, this leads us to this, this thought. So then verse 10 helps to explain verse 9. And I say, thank you, Lord. And if you notice, I'm going to tell you a quick key to some of the Apostle Paul's writings and how he does things. He will state something in one verse. And then if you're wondering what that is, he comes right back in the next verse. And he explains it in more detail. He gives more information on it, which to me is very helpful. And a lot of people, once they see the verse, in one verse, they are like off to the races of what they think it could possibly mean. When Paul tells us what it means in the very next verse. So as you're looking at scriptures and interpreting, trying to figure out what is meant by a certain scripture, Hey, just read the next one. <laughs> that might that might help you out tremendously. And it does quite often. And I just say thank you, Lord. And we could say thank you to the Apostle Paul, but really Paul is just a messenger here. He is not the one who uh, is the author of these things. He's just the messenger. Point C. The question is, uh, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. So I could say this is explaining something we already said in verse 9. So the, the question was, believe what? And I'm just giving you a little illustration of how that works, right? What we just talked about. Believe what? Well, that God raised him from the dead. Now, <clears throat> if you go back to verse 9, you see that that was in the context. And remember, verse 10 helps explain verse 9. And this part of it, where it talks about us believing, and here it is, it's in point number two, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, right? So so here in point C, I ask, believe what? <laughs> believe that God raised him from the dead. That's what. And I say again, these are results of one coming to know the true gospel from the spirit of truth. So remember, just like we studied in... Uh, previous week, uh, when we, we were in the previous verse, we learned that these are not end-all verses in themselves. If you just recite these words, then that means you're saved. No, there's a whole lot more to the gospel than is mentioned in these verses. In fact, if, it just, if it, you just told a person to quote these verses and they'll be saved, I don't think, honestly, that unless God the Holy Spirit prepared that person, that they would fully understand what salvation was. But yet, you're telling them at the end of it, you will be saved, right? You are saved. Uh, so what is the Apostle Paul doing? Well, he's taught salvation all the way in, in the epistle in great detail, especially with justification, righteousness, believing, all of that. He talks about grace. I mean, the Apostle Paul is replete in explaining the gospel, I think, in great detail. So we don't have to worry about do we know what the gospel is. What we do, what we do have here is a summary of the gospel. It's not even the whole thing. So if you picked up a person that was cold, didn't had no the Holy Spirit had not been working. I don't even know if that's possible because the Holy Spirit works with everyone. 
but there's a lot more details to the gospel than are mentioned in just this one verse. So the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, well, somebody could say, well, did he die? <laughs> did he really die? So he had to raise him from the dead? And he, if he raised him from the dead, what does that mean? We'll get to all of this as we go forward because uh, we know what it all means. It, these words resonate with us pretty loudly, but unless you have some more background, I don't know. Point D, for it is with the heart. And the word heart in the Greek, and this is a huge metaphor, is cardia. There's really two words, two major words for the heart and the mind or the thinking and all that. It's nous, and it's usually translated mind, and is which we don't have in the notes. I could have put it, but I didn't because I'm focused on cardia. But cardia is also picked up as a, as a medical term for it's a physical heart. Uh, the heart, that is, figuratively. And so figuratively, it's the thoughts or the feelings, of the, the mind, also by analogy, uh, the middle. When he says, it says the middle here, it's referring to the middle voice. But here, the heart is a huge metaphor, huge analogy to talk about the physical pump that, circulate, that is used to circulate blood in the body. Uh, you need your heart. Without your heart, uh, things, we cannot live on this earth without a heart. Now, I know people are, in, in our age, there is such a thing as heart transplants. So if your heart is bad, there is possibility that you can get a heart from someone else who is a match. And uh, you can continue to live, uh, obviously, if you get that transplant in time. Heart is a very critical organ. You cannot live without a heart. Uh, and that metaphor is also speaking of us in terms of uh, our being or our makeup before God. How God looks at us. He is not looking at the physical heart that's pumping blood throughout our body, circulating blood. He is looking at what we think, who we are inside. Even though uh, I look at a person, I can't see their heart pumping. You can put a stethoscope on, you can hear a heart pumping, but you can't see it. The heart, the thinking heart, the figurative use of the heart, we can't see that at all person can hide what they're thinking but guess who can see the heart God so the heart may be hidden to us but it's not hidden to God let's look at a couple things here there's some definitions I, I gave the definition but I'm given in point e the heart the heart here is the seat of a person's consciousness the heart is who he or she really is on the inside. Their resolve and beliefs, they're collected and stored in the heart. We can explore thoughts and concepts with our minds and our hearts. And of, often when we look at the mind and the heart, you will find that some of that uh, is interchangeable. Sometimes heart may be used 
for the mind in thinking and vice versa. Sometimes the, the mind and the thinking may use, be used for the heart. They're, they're almost words that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some where they cross over one another. So I found negative and positive. So obviously if we have a sin nature from Adam, the heart is influenced by the sin nature. What's the heart? The heart is what we think how things we believe, things, things, mindsets that we have that is affected by the sin nature. I'm going to turn as fast as I can to some of these verses. Some of these verses you know very well. And just let me just put a disclaimer out here. I certainly did not take every verse, and there's a lot of them here. I did not take every verse that had to do with the heart. If I looked in my concordance, there were 500 and 37 verses that uh, reference, or, or times, 537 times, um, heart is used from the Old Testament through the New. So there is no way I could have collected all the verses that dealt with heart. So I just put it in two categories here, negative and positive, uh, just to show. But there's a lot more ways heart can be used. It's one of those words where uh, it's not totally inscrutable, but to understand it, you will have to look at the context to realize what is being said. And it's not hard to do. So first one is Proverbs. Let's look at that one. And it's 23, 6, and 7. I'm going to go fast. 23, 6, and 7. Do not eat bread of a miser. And this is the NIV. Oh, no. Now it's the NIV. Do not eat the food of a, a begrudging host. I just thought this one was funny, so I put it in here. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And it goes on and says stuff about you vomiting up <laughs> the little you have eaten and wasted your compliments and so forth. We're not getting to that part. I just figured I'd throw that in there. Be careful, guys, when you go out to eat. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. This is one that's very common. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And obviously here, the heart has been influenced by the sinful nature that we have from Adam. So what happens? Well, it's it's corrupt. And these are our thoughts, our thinking, the resolves, and what our belief systems are. Right? They're all corrupt. Who desperately, uh, deceitful above all things, beyond cure, desperately wicked, uh, says the King James. Matthew 15, 7 through 9. We're moving to the New Testament. I tried to pick a couple from the Old Matthew 15, 7 through 9 says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, notice, but their hearts are far from me. God's not looking for lip service. He can see where you really are. If you're hypocritical, right, you, you can say you can be one way on the outside, but your heart on the inside. Now, there's a lot about Pharisees uh, and, and how whitewashed tombstones on the outside they look white and pure and fresh but on the inside they stink like dead men's bones and i also could have brought pharaoh remember 
Pharaoh hardened his heart. There were too many scriptures to bring. But um, just to note that there is a lot. So that's 15, 8, and 9. Uh, and then 18, uh, let me see. I think we are looking at, uh, yeah, 18 and 19. Same chapter. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, here it is, come from the heart. And these defile them. Remember, the disciples were uh, saying the whole thing was about how the Pharisees and teachers of the law came. To, this is verse 1. They came and, uh, and they asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Uh, they don't wash their hands before they eat. That's, that's what led to this whole discourse anyway. So anyway, 18 and 19, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. They, these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with, with unwashed hands uh, does not defile them. So notice what God sees is something completely different than what man sees. They were worried about washing their hands, really. <laughs> In their heart, they were holding some other things that were filthy. Anyway, um, uh, Acts 7.51. I think I quoted this earlier, so you are very familiar with this one as well. Acts 7.51. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This is a very important scripture. Obviously, it tells a lot about Jewish history. And um, notice, their hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, meaning they're not saved. They haven't allowed God to uh, cause them to be born again. And where the Holy Spirit it was able to give them a heart of flesh. Not allowed that to happen. So uh, that's 751. Now some positive scriptures. 1 Samuel 6, 7. I had to throw that in there. If we were going to talk about the heart, uh, I thought it might be appropriate. First Samuel 6 and 7 says, Now then, uh oh, wait, wait, is that correct? I think I did some. First Samuel 6, 7. Oh, I might have messed this up. Ah. Well, we'll go with 6 6. This wasn't the scripture. Uh, I was thinking of, I'll have to get the right reference. Maybe it's 2 Samuel. Let me just check that real quick. Nope. Nope, it's first. So I have to look that up. Sorry. It was bound to happen at some point. <laughs> 6-7. Uh, is it 7-6? No. It was bound to happen. So anyway, we're just going to go with the next verse. It does talk about the heart. Why do you harden? Verse 6-6. Six, six. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's uh, God dealt harshly with them, they did not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way. But anyway, it does talk about their hearts being hardened, just like Pharaoh's heart. Let's keep going. We'll find that reference at some point in the future. Uh, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Let's look at that. Hopefully I got that one right. Ezekiel 11, 19. Let's look at that one. I will give them an undivided heart and put 
a new spirit in them. See, this is like being born again, right? I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So there you have it. Uh, God can do that. And even for these Old Testament people. And remember, when I talked about the Israelites could have obeyed the law, that was very possible. But they didn't want to put the, the horse before the cart when it came to this. That's what they also needed. It's what we saw here in Ezekiel 11 and 19. Mark 12, 30. Let's keep going in the New Testament. Uh, I don't even know if we had enough time to read all these. Mark 12 and 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So when you think about this verse, the heart here is really the whole you. Really this verse is saying with everything you have. The real, truly, in on the inside, be given to this love. Committed with everything you have. And that's your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, and your strength. That's everything you have. And then, um, what else? Um, I think we are Luke twelve twenty nine. Luke twelve twenty nine. Let's see what that one says. says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Notice, so the heart, again, is what people have, uh, what they're occupied with, what they're focused on. There's another verse I know I don't have that talks about where you, wherever your heart is, there your treasure is. Uh, what, what, or what is your focus? Don't focus on money. Don't focus on what you shall eat or drink. Those things are not important. God is saying, I will take care of those things for you. I need your focus on me. We just read them. I need your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Then uh, Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. And 3, 16 and 17. I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There it is. So Christ in our hearts means that we have been transformed and what we have allowed to stay or stored in our heart are the things that God has put there. Right? So that's how come Christ is able to dwell. He's, being, he's able to be at home in our hearts through faith. Uh, another scripture I didn't take was where Mary learned all these things about Christ, and then it says she treasured them up in her heart. She stored them, treasured them in her heart. So, um, Colossians 2.2, 2, 1 Timothy 1.5, I'll just skip over those and read Hebrews 4.12. And like I said, there's so many passages I could have raised. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and, alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is, it judges the thoughts and notice the attitudes of the heart. So 
lot of ways heart is used. As you can see, it's the seat of the person. It's what the person, who the person really is, what they think, uh, what conclusions and beliefs they hold, uh, what the person's really like. We may not know the person because they, they can hide those things. They can be hypocritical. Point F, in our context, the person understands and acknowledges what was taught about the gospel is true. So how, what do I mean? I mean for with the heart. It is with the heart that you believe and are justified. So obviously, back to the context, our context, the person understands and acknowledges that what was taught about the gospel is true. For him to believe and be justified in their heart, they believe, they obviously have been taught. Right? That's, and they, they made a decision to put their faith in that. Right? And so when it talks about believe and are justified, that is the next point. Believe and are justified. Let's let Paul tell us how to be justified. That's Romans 3, 21 through 24. We covered this in much detail. We could almost skip over this, but I won't. But, uh, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So there, 321 through 24 does give us pretty good understanding about what does it mean for us to be justified. We have to receive the righteousness, which is God's highest standard. And then in point H, verse 26, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in, in Jesus. That's Romans 3.26. It helps us understand that uh, justification comes as a result of us receiving righteousness because we had faith in Jesus Christ, the redemption that came through Jesus. So there's a lot to this. It's not just, well, just believe you're justified. So point I is when we are justified, when we believe, the moment we believe, right? And I said to note, justification is the reversal of our condemnation from the justice of God. And I give a couple scriptures where it talks about Romans 5.24. We have crossed over from death to life. Romans 8, that's John 5.24. And it should be Romans, sorry. Just add, your, add Romans to your notes. Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we've been justified, you could, you could add. So it's been reversed. J, Romans 4, 24 and 25. This is a scripture, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So, so in the previous verse in chapter 9, it talks about him being raised from the dead. And notice it ties being raised from the dead with our justification. Right? We are just, and, and in verse 10, it talks about us being justified. So notice, our justi our, Christ being raised from the dead is like God 
has now accepted a human being. And he is going to use that human being who was justified before him, who is righteous and just before him for the entire human race. Just like he used Adam's original sin as uh, condemnation for the entire human race, he is now using Christ's uh, justification. In other words, his, the fact that God raised him from the dead demonstrates justification. It demonstrates that God approves the work of Christ on our behalf. It demonstrates that. So, he was raised. So this verse ties all that together. Verses 9 and 10 helps us understand more about what he said in, in verse 9. About uh, he was raised for our, how does it say it? It says uh, God raised him from the dead. Remember, if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, right? Well, what does that mean? In verse 10, it explains further that it has to do with our justification. We believe and are justified. Hopefully you get that point. And then the second half of that verse is, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So let's go back. Uh, we already saw what happened in the previous verse. Now we're back to professing again, right? First point, God saved you when you believed. Your acknowledgement of it says you now know it. You now know it. You were saved the moment you believed in Christ. Now, of course, there, there had to be some background work with the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm sure I'll get into that. And so believing, a person could be commanded to believe, but the question they could say is, believe what? Profess what? And that's where God the Holy Spirit has filled in all that information so that this is more of a result than the means of salvation. Point B, with your mouth. It speaks of the nearness of salvation. If we go to Romans 10, 10 8, right? This is where he picks up this metaphor of the mouth, right? And your heart. He picks that up. But he's carrying it on through to these verses uh, and if, for salvation. Remember, verse 8 says, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So there, that is a quote from Deuteronomy. right? That is the message concerning faith we proclaim. So notice, he's adding that is the message concerning faith we can proclaim, but he's picking the words up from what Moses taught the Israelites. I think we, we covered that in hopefully sufficient detail for you. So um, that was with the mouth and even with the heart as well. Point C, profess your faith. So it is with your mouth that you profess your faith. This is the phrase, profess your faith. Again, this is the result of believing. Professing with your mouth does not make you saved any more than baptism does. This is an important point to consider because baptism, people say, is an outward sign of what has happened on the inside of us. Right? We can't see what happened on the inside, but we can illustrate it using the analogy of baptism. It's a physical analogy used to illustrate something that actually went on inside of us that can't be seen, the baptism of the Spirit. So, um, 
baptism does not save anybody, even though people get that confused. They, they're really confused about it. And even in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it was a big deal. Paul said, you know what? I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. And then he went back and remembered. He says, well, I did baptize a couple, right? A couple in the household of, some, of this one or that one. But he was like frustrated with the fact that people were distorting what baptism was. It is a profession of your faith. It is an outward sign. You're telling the world and so forth. But it is not a means of salvation. Just because you did that, you said these words, and now all of a sudden you're saved. That does not work that way. So neither does professing with your mouth. Remember, we got the mouth thing from verse 8, and then Paul is continuing to bring that forward. Point D, profession. Remember the Greek word, we talked about this last week, homologeto. It's the same verb, same, same word that we uh, saw in uh, 1 John 1, nine. If you confess uh, your, your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Right, that profession or confession, it's the same word, different translations here, one's profess, one's confess, same word, Greek word, means to cite, to name, to admit. Right? So why would you do that? Because you are agreeing with someone. Who's that someone that you're agreeing with? God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit brought a sin that Christ paid for to your attention in 1 John 1, 9. And now you have a choice to make. You can now confess. You can homologeto which is to confess that sin. And that's all that's necessary. God is faithful and just to forgive you. So homo profession is a result, not the means of salvation. Because here, homologato is used in a salvation passage. So when that is, obviously it is a result of salvation, not the means. Nobody can confess something with their mouth, and because they said these words, God's going to give them salvation. No, believing brought salvation, as we saw earlier. Believing in the heart. It brought justification. And point that leads us to point E. Saved, right? This Now I'm looking at this last part. And are saved. And saved, to note, uh, is justification. And it also is being born again. It, all these are synonymous terms. For sure, we should know that having eternal life, being saved, being born again, being justified, being made righteous, all that, these are synonyms for the same thing where we have crossed over from death to life, as we said in John 5, 24. And point F, as we witness the words of life to those who are lost, just think about it. Let us remember the spirit of truth is always operating behind the scenes. So while our, our words may not be effective uh, in uh, swaying the hearts of people, uh, we can't really see the heart. We can't really speak to the heart. We could. We could. We could say words, but the Holy Spirit has to take those words and witness to that person on the inside. So we have to always remember, it is we are not the bottom line. Right? I like what Paul says in one, uh, 1 Corinthians. One man plants, another man waters. But it is God who gives the increase. So we are not the ones who can produce anything. But we can speak the words. And uh, we have the words of life. 
powerful words. And you don't have to wonder if the Holy Spirit is going to take those words and apply them to the person's heart. You don't have to wonder. He is on it. <laughs> He's on it all the time. Even where we're not on it, He's on it. He's working on it. On the hearts of every unbeliever trying to turn them to Christ. And if you want John 16, 8 through 11, there you have the work of the Holy Spirit and what he is now doing. Now that we have updated information about the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, who was he? Uh, it points out that it is this person, yes, this person who is the focal point, the object of salvation. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to other verses as we continue next week. As the scripture says, verse 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. We'll talk about why put to shame is there. Hey, we're being saved. If, we're, if a person is saved, what's shameful about that? We'll deal with that next week. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to stop at this juncture to see if there are anything, any questions out there on the table that we can clarify, I will pause. Yeah, I just had one thing I wanted to, to read as you were uh, speaking, uh, especially about the heart and about people coming to the, the realization and understanding. The scripture that, that I thought really summed up the whole thought, um, why? me twice about those verses they're wonderful yes uh, and they do they say it all and they do sum it up nicely yeah yeah other thoughts bill or anyone um i thought the the reference to first samuel 6 7 um should be first samuel 16 7 oh Okay, thank you for looking that up. Let's read it since you already brought it to, to the... Well, you read it since you got our attention on it. Well, I have the ESV version of it. Do you have the NIV in front of you? Actually, wait a minute. Um, oh, yeah, that is okay. it. That is, the, that is the verse, yes, that I was thinking of. It is 16-7. Yeah. <laughs> Want me yeah, to read it? But the Lord said to Samuel... Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah, very classic verse. Notice I tried to pick classic verses, and I threw a few curveballs in there. But yes, there, thank you for 
pointing out that that is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Thank you. Other thoughts out there? Uh, we'll take our time. We still have a minute or two, but... So, let me ask, Romans 10, 9, or let me just make the statement. I would say Romans 10, 9, and 10 is not used, generally speaking, in a correct way. Although, I can't certainly can't um, think that it is wrong to use uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. I don't think it's wrong at all to use it. Although, I don't think the Christian world has... Uh, taken time to teach what the gospel is. And as a result of that, they're shortchanging Romans 10, 9, and 10. And also, the understanding that this is a Jewish context that is spoken of here, addressing an issue that the Jews had and rejected it, which is 10, 1 and 2 through 4. It really talks about the Jews rejecting, which was their fatal flaw, as we discussed. And then how the apostle used the Old Testament in this unique way, I think, is should be known. Uh, and I pointed out last week where with the jailer asking, uh, what must I do to be saved? And... Paul did not give him Romans 10, 9, and 10. So, why? Because that person was a Gentile. Now, Jews and Gentiles still need the same salvation. However, with Jews, there is a context. And uh, so, there's a history with Judaism uh, that should be understood and at least mentioned as we teach these verses in Romans 10 because that is the context by the way so closing thoughts anyone yeah that what you just read that uh, Romans uh, 9 10 um, just brought a few scriptures to mind one was you know when God talks about the things that come out of our mouth and you know blasphemy curses and all of those things and we know that God is a, he does it the intent of the heart. So we have a lot of mouth service. People say things, but they don't, they're not, uh, like 10 says, but it's with the heart that we believe. So that's, right. that's, that's where God checks us at. Yeah. Not so much things we say, but he judges the intent of the heart. Right, right. And then we, we clarified that in good detail, I thought, especially to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 3 verse, which says, therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So, when we tell people, say, Jesus is Lord, I mean, that those are not magic words. There's something behind it. And what's the something behind it, or someone behind it? It is God, the Holy Spirit, who who has brought that person to the place where they could say Jesus is Lord. It's 
not something that we can just tell people then all of a sudden these words have some power to them and next thing you know these the person saved so these are things that people should take into account i tried to bring them all to our attention but um, i'm sure there's more as well absolutely all right we're gonna have to quit uh, we'll talk more about this next week as we continue this context let's bow our heads thank you father Again, we, we've come to these verses that are so popular in the world today. Father, we pray that as uh, we're confronted with the gospel and how to give it, and that we might be wise as serpents but harmless as doves, that we will give us the words to speak and the scriptures to help people understand that we can... And, and that we will give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect. We thank you for these words that you've given us, the gospel message that the Holy Spirit has led us to come to not only believe, but to understand. So we, we pray that you will use us, uh, especially as we continue with uh, Twitter and other places. It, be with us as we are in our workplaces and school or wherever we may be in our daily uh, walk, that we will ha be the ones the right, uh, in, in the right place at the right time so that we can open our mouths and speak the words of life. We thank you for this group and we pray for each and every person that is on the call and those who are a part of this church. All, we're praying that not only for our health, but that we can continue by your grace in this world so that we can be your witnesses in the world. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.